0: We do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Paul writes two times in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And what a great reminder for the church, his church, to stay faithful to the call of discipleship. And we know that we've been journeying through our series called Built for Discipleship. And we coined discipleship or defined discipleship here at Evergreen as being committed to intentional Relationships that build Christ-likeness. Therefore, we need to be intentional to evangelize. Evangelize. Because before anyone could become like Christ, they need to come to Christ first. So evangelism is a critical step in discipleship. And at Evergreen, we have formal opportunities for evangelism. We offer opportunities for local evangelism. With uh, Pastor Hugo Torres, we've been around the local neighborhood to show God's love and eventually invite people into the church family and and invite people to relationship with Christ through the preaching of the gospel. So we're very committed to this, particularly locally, where we're putting our resources, as Pastor Michael talked about, to bringing in gifts to help us with our evangelism process. But Our hope is that evangelism takes place in an informal way at Evergreen. Where in our day-to-day lives, we're looking to evangelize people. We're looking to share the good news of Jesus Christ to people who are lost. And I believe that this command is crystal clear from God's word. It's absolutely crystal clear. And I believe our church is clear about this. However, I'm not quite sure that the church globally and may perhaps even some of us know that it is a clear command for us because according to the Barna Group, many have lost heart in the area of evangelism. When surveyed about whether every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith, back in 1993, 89% or 90% of Christians agreed that it is the responsibility of every single Christian to share our faith. However, in 2018, when people were surveyed, and Christians were surveyed, it dropped to 64%. What happened? What happened? 25% decrease in Christians believing it's our own personal responsibility to share our faith with others. And in 2018, almost... Half, 47% of Christian millennials thought that it was actually even wrong to share our faith with others. Can you believe that? It's wrong as if we, cannot, we should not impose our views on other people's and, and have them conform to what we believe in. Right? Roxanne Stone, editor-in-chief at, at the Barna Group, says, So what's happening here? Why are Christians so reluctant to talk about their faith, she says. The overarching cultural trends of secularism, that means life apart from God. Relativism, which talks about what's true is true for you, depending on your context, depending on your situation. Or pluralism, meaning there are many truths, there are many ways to God. And the digital age are contributing to a society that is less interested in religion and that has marginalized the place of spirituality in everyday life. Stone continues, As a result, Christians in America today have to live in the tension between Jesus' commands to tell others the good news and growing cultural taboos against prostatili- Excuse me. <laughs> speaking about Christ, evangelizing. So there's that tension in many Christians, according to the Barna Group. Or are we actually called to do this? Are we we supposed to do this? Because culture is telling us we shouldn't do this. And many have lost the heart to evangelize the lost. And through experience, experience tells me that many have never even shared the gospel with other people. And this is a reality that we're facing today in in our time. And what could be more important than the message of the gospel, particularly during a time like this? so that I believe that the church can use some motivation. And this is not going to be a message in terms of just that we're called to evangelize, but perhaps gleaning some motivation from Paul's words out of 2 Corinthians 4. And we're going to look at the greatest human evangelist. Jesus Christ is the greatest evangelist, but the greatest human evangelist, Paul. And, And we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 4 today. And 2 Corinthians 4, as you're turning there, I'm going to provide some context. Paul was confronted by false teachers in Corinth. They wanted to turn the people away from Paul to follow them. Therefore, they attacked Paul at every level. His appearance, they said he's unimpressive. His ability to preach is this he cannot preach. He's not eloquent enough. They even criticized the content of his sermons and his preaching. He's saying he was too direct, too bold, too simplistic... For their taste. They didn't even attack his character saying that he has a hidden agenda. And that Pete, that Paul is a con artist. They're attacking him at every level. And Paul is forced to defend his apostleship. So he writes 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is a very personal letter to the Corinthian church. He loved the Corinthian church. Although the church caused him a lot of pain, he loved this church. And this is the most personal, most biographical of, of all his letters, perhaps next to 2 Timothy. So by looking at 2 Corinthians, we're able to look into his heart to see what made this man tick, what allowed him to be faithful to the very end. And so we're going to go through 2 Corinthians 4. And so please rise if you, and follow along with me with your Bibles or your phones. 2 Corinthians 4. Paul defends his apostolic ministry. God's word says this, Therefore, since we have this ministry as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world or age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. So that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants or slaves for Jesus' sake. For God, who said light shall shine out our darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus raises us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but of the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to read your word, to preach your word. I pray, Lord, that we will be illuminated to understand what you're saying through 2 Corinthians 4. I pray for encouragement for the church family to be faithful evangelists. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Paul did not lose heart. Paul was a man on mission. Paul finished his race sprinting past the finish line. He did not crawl through the finish line. He sprinted past the finish line. And if you ask any of us, we want to finish strong. This is the goal of life on this earth. We want to finish strong. And Paul gives us his mentality in how to be faithful ministers of the gospel here. Verse one, he says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. This ministry, what ministry is Paul talking about? Just jumping back a little bit to chapter three, he's talking about the new covenant. How Paul was given the gospel ministry to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to save the lost. This was the ministry that Paul was entrusted with. This is the ministry his apostleship was based upon to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. This was definitely talking about his mind. However, 2 Corinthians 5:20 says that we Christians, all of us who call, who are followers of Christ are ambassadors for Christ. And we've been given a ministry of re- reconciliation to reconcile sinners to God, to be at peace with God. To share the gospel. So if we could glean from this section, although Paul's talking about his own mind and those, uh, his own heart, there's a lot of application for us today. And he sees this ministry, gospel ministry, as a mercy. He knew he didn't deserve it. He was the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners, he said. He used to crucify, uh, uh, persecute Christians, have them arrested, even killed. He knew he didn't deserve this ministry. And, matter of fact, none of us deserve this ministry. He didn't take it for granted. He knew this is an immense privilege. This is an immense privilege that you and I have been given, church family. Therefore, Paul says, We do not lose heart. This is the most important thing that he could be a part of. This is the most important thing that we could be a part of. Everything else fails in comparison to being gospel ministers. To lose heart, that means to be discouraged. That means that Paul didn't, he didn't abandon the mission of the gospel. That means he didn't give up. He didn't tap out, say, I'm out. I can't handle it anymore. I'm out. It's too hard. Life, I'm missing out on life too much. I'm out. He didn't tap out. Paul had every reason to shut it down as well. He had every reason. He had it hard. He did not live an easy life. But guess what? Verse 2 says this, but he went the other way. Instead of retreating or backing down, he went into the gospel ministry even deeper. But, he says, Paul doubles down. He goes, he, we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. He's renounced or rejected the secret life or shame, which would bring discredit to the ministry. He walked away from these things. He turned his back on sinful ways. He turned his back from a sinful, secret life. He didn't live a double life. He was who he said he was. He was a faithful man, not a perfect man, but a faithful man. He didn't walk in craftiness. This means that he didn't look to con people. He wasn't cunning and, and, and manipulative of people to gain influence and power, money as his Opponents accused him of doing. And they also, he didn't adulterate the word of God. What does this mean? He did not water down God's word to manipulate people. This is exactly what the, the false teachers were doing. They are watering down God's word to manipulate the people. Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2.17 says this, For we are not like many, there are many of them, peddling the word of God pawning off the word of God, using the word of God, giving half truths, misrepresenting the word of God to win the people over, tickling the ears of the people. This is what the false teachers are doing. They're ear ticklers. They're, they were charlatans who are great salesmen to gain their support. They're marketing themselves, Paul was saying. There are many of them. Today, we have many ear ticklers. This type of preaching is still prevalent today where people will tell you what you want to hear. Sin and repentance, those aren't important things to talk about. Ear ticklers. But Paul refused to play that game. He said, I'm not going to play that game. And what was Paul's strategy then? He gives us this clear strategy right in chapter chapter 4, verse 2, right here at the end. Instead of adulterating or watering down the word of God, what did he do? But by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. What did Paul do? Paul's aim was simply to make the gospel clear and confronting every single heart and saying, now that you understand the gospel, what are you going to do with it? This is Paul's strategy, simply to make the gospel clear. That's his strategy. He didn't have this uh, smart technique. There was no fancy marketing plan. He didn't use anything else. He just said, okay, I'm going to preach the gospel. This is my plan. Let me turn to 1 uh, 1 Thessalonians here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He gives us more of his heart on his gospel strategy. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. But after we had, had already suffered, Paul suffered a lot, and had been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you. What? The gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, so we speak, not as pleasing men, not as ear-ticklers, not as adulterating the word of God, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Paul was simply trying to preach the gospel. That's what his goal was. That's what his mission in life was. Let me read to you what uh, David Garland writes. David Garland is a commentator on 2 Corinthians. Paul, he writes, he commends himself by laying out the gospel plainly for everyone to judge for themselves, conscience, to their own conscience. He insists that unlike such con men, he did not adjust, water down, Or tamper with the gospel to stroke his listeners' egos to avoid ruffling their feathers. He's not a flatterer using God's word only to delight the audience and bewitch them with enchanting interpretations that never question their conduct or character. Paul was preaching the gospel is what David Garland says. This is what he relied on. And the reason why I take so much time on Paul's focus is this. This is our role. This is exactly what you and I have been called to do, is to proclaim the gospel, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And how is he so motivated to be faithful to gospel ministry? This is where we're going to extract three truths from this chapter to motivate us, to motivate us to simply proclaim the gospel message, to simply fulfill the role that God's given us. So we're going to extract three truths from Paul's heart here. That will motivate us. And I want to give you these three points ahead of time. We do not lose heart because we trust in God's predetermined plan. That's verses 3 to 6. Because we trust in God's predetermined plan. Plan. Verse 3 to 6. Point number two. We do not lose heart because we trust in preserving power. God's preserving power. Verses 7 through 15. We trust in God's preserving power. And thirdly. We do not lose heart because we trust in God's permanent promises. Permanent promises, verses 16 through 18. Okay? This past Tuesday, my children and I were in Inglewood, and we walked up to a car, and a driver that we didn't know, he asked me, what's your name? I said, Rocky. He said, come on in. So we got into the car, and our Uber driver welcomed us in, And the five of us were in his car, and we had about a 10 or 15-minute drive through the streets of Inglewood to my friend's house. And we struck up a conversation. I said, oh, where do you live? He said, Hawthorne. I said, how long have you been living there? Oh, for about a year. Oh, where did you come from? I said, oh, he said, "I, I came from Sudan. I said, that's great. I asked him this question, are there many Christians there? He kind of looked at me. He goes, ah, There's some. And he goes, but our country is mostly Muslim. And my question to him next was, are you Muslim? He said, yes, I am. And and I told him, I'm a Christian. We're Christians. And he said, oh, wow, that's great. We believe in Jesus too. I said, is that right? And I go go on to talk to him about Muslim friends that I had who shared what they believed with me. And I said, I have a high respect and regard for my Muslim friends. They're devout people generally, and, uh, but what makes us distinctly Christian is that who we believe Jesus Christ to be. You see, we believe that Jesus Christ is God, the creator of all things, and the savior of the world. We believe that he's God himself. Who do you say that Jesus is? He said, well, we believe he's a prophet like our prophet Muhammad. I said, is that right? So do we believe in the same thing? He goes, I guess we don't believe in the same thing. And we continue down the road. And as we spoke there, it was a really good privilege, great privilege for me to be able to speak to him. My children were in the back seat, just listening on. It was silent other than he and I talking, other than his radio going off. And I thought to myself. Do I share the gospel with him? We we traveled down this road already. Do I share the gospel with him? What would you do in that situation? Thoughts would cross my mind? Well, what if he doesn't believe? What if he doesn't believe? Does that thought cross your mind when you have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody? What if this person doesn't believe the gospel? Well, we're going to go to point number 1 here, in evangelism we do not lose heart because we trust in God's predetermined plan. We trust in God's predetermined plan. We need to understand these next this massive monumental truth that's contained in verses 3 through 6 here. To not get discouraged, to not get to lose heart in our evangelism efforts. Let's read to verse let's look to verse 3 here. And even if our gospel's veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4 says, In whose case the God of this world or age, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the glory, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The gospel, the gospel, the good news the greatest news of all, the good news of Jesus Christ, how he came to seek and save the lost, the good news that says that Jesus Christ, God himself took on our, God's wrath, our punishment, so that we could be at peace with God. Many will not believe, church family, unfortunately, many will not believe 1 Corinthians 1, 18, as Sister Patty read, says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. People are perishing, and the word of Christ is foolishness. It does not make sense. They cannot see Christ as God. They cannot believe Jesus is the creator and the savior of the world. And Satan, God has used Satan to capture their focus through the world system that appeals to, to their fallen nature. where I ask this question. Is Satan really in control? No. Satan is not in control. John 12.40. Jesus quotes Isaiah the prophet. As Jesus speaks. He the father has blinded their eyes. And he the father has hardened their hearts. Jesus says. It's God who actually blinds the eyes of the lost. And hardens the heart. Of the lost. Martin Luther, as I've quoted before, says, Even the devil is God's devil. God will use Satan to fulfill his plans. God is in control, church family. God is sovereign. God is in control. Therefore, Paul knew to focus on his own role, not on God's role. Paul was focused on his own role, and and, as verse 5 says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants or slaves, for Jesus' sake. Paul focused on his role, was simply to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is where we need to focus in on. We need to trust God to do his work, and and trust what God has told us to do is enough. Preach the gospel. Tell people about Jesus Christ. And after we proclaim the good news of Christ, you know what we do next? We pray. We pray. We pray for a great miracle. Because 1 Corinthians 2 says the natural man, the unbeliever, cannot understand the things of God. It is impossible for the lost to understand the things of God. It's not an intellectual argument. It's not just, if I could just explain it in this way, he or she will turn to Christ. That's not it. It's a supernatural work. In essence, we're praying, church family, for a greater miracle than feeding the 5,000. We're praying for a greater miracle than walking on water. We're praying for a greater miracle than giving sight to the blind. We're, giving, we're praying for a greater miracle than Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. This is an incredible miracle that we're calling on. And Jesus says that the Spirit needs to give rebirth. In John 3, the Spirit must have give people rebirth to be able to be new people in Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Church family, we do not save one person. This is completely up to the work of God. That's his job. Our role is to simply proclaim the message of the gospel. And how does God do it? How does God actually do it? Well, let's look at verse 6. This is a monumental verse here that sheds a light on a whole lot of things here on how people are saved. Verse 6 says, It's for God. Who said? Light shall shine out of darkness. What does this remind us of? Genesis 1-3. Let there be light. God spoke light into existence. Out of darkness, out of nothingness. Light was Birthed. In essence, Paul is saying the same God who spoke everything into existence needs to speak in every single heart that comes to know Him as Lord and Savior. Let there be light in this woman. Let there be light in him. Let there be light in her, so that they would believe in the message of the gospel so that they will see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, so that they will see that Jesus is more than a prophet, more than a holy man, more than a good moral teacher, more than a created God. He is God himself. Jesus says this, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Colossians 1.15 says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ is God himself. And the fact that you believe that and see that is a work of God. It's a miracle. We need to understand our roles, church family. We need to understand our roles. And we need to trust in God's predetermined plan. In Ephesians 1... Verses 4 and 5, it says, "As Just as He, God the Father, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, before He said, Let there be light, God chose you and me who are in Christ. Verse 5 says, He predestined us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 29-30 says, He, God the Father, foreknew us, He predestined us, He called us, He justified us, He glorified us from eternity past. He's done the work. And what Jesus says in Matthew twenty-two, fourteen, it says this, Many are called or invited, but few are chosen. So you're right. They may not believe. They may not believe. Or at least for now, they may not believe. But our job is to simply make clear the good news of Jesus Christ. And some sitting here may say, well, if God has chosen already, why even bother? <laughs> well, we're not God. We do not know who's been called into the family of God. Our role is simply to share the gospel and trust in God's plan in it. Isn't that liberating, church family? It's not up to us. Imagine if it feels up to you to save anyone. How horrifying would that be? I did not say the right thing. Oops, I wasn't a perfect witness. I guess they're not going to heaven. I mean, how much pressure is that? Our role is to simply share the gospel and pray and trust in God's predetermined plan. As we drove down through Inglewood in the Toyota, in the Highlander, the music was going off. We're starting to warm up. The Uber driver and I, children said nothing in the back. And we were just talking, and we started talking some more. And there was a whole intersection that was blocked off. Police cars, lights, everything. So we had to take a detour, and we looked back. There was no cars. He said, oh, it's probably a shooting. And we're driving down the road and thinking to myself, do I share the gospel with him? I don't want this guy to get mad at me and throw us out in the middle of Inglewood. I'm with my four kids. Well, this goes to, takes us to our next point. We'll continue on with that story in a second. But in evangelism, we do not lose heart because we trust in God's preserving power. We trust in God's preserving power. A little bit about Corinth. Similar to Los Angeles, I would say, is that they made much of the messengers. They're into style, the skill, the eloquence, the education, the appearance of the messengers, and the goal of the speakers were to, was to become popular and to become famous. You could make a lot of money doing this back then. And in 1 Corinthians 1, the church even struggled with personality cults. I prefer this preacher. I'm of this preacher. I'm of that preacher. So this has affected the church. But Paul contrasts this whole mentality that the Corinthians had in this very next verse, in verse 7 here. But we have this treasure. In what? We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Treasure. What is the treasure? It's the gospel. There it is again. The central theme of this whole chapter is the gospel. This treasure, this deposit of priceless value, the most essential, most necessary message for any man, woman, or child to hear. The gospel is contained in what? In earthen vessels, clay pots, clay pots. Disposable, worthless, cheap, common, everyday, insignificant, completely replaceable clay pots. And these treasures were contained in these clay pots. What is Paul talking about clay pots? Paul's talking about himself. Paul saw himself as a clay pot. Not the treasure, but the clay pot. We're all clay pots. See, the the Corinthians thought it was about the messenger. It had nothing to do with the messenger. Paul saying it's about the message. It's not about these other things. Paul was saying, why? Verse 7 goes on to say, so that, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. So that people can't say, oh, it's because of that guy. He's such a gifted man. It's because of his education. See how eloquent he is. This is why the church is being built up. It had nothing to do with these people. Paul was saying God uses in, in, insignificant things in people... To build up his church. First Corinthians 27-29. to 29, As Patty read, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base, the normal things, the despised things of the world, and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, so that he will, may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. This is about God. This is about God's glory. So no no one could point to any human as being the, the answer for why the church is growing. It's about God. It's always been about God. It's about God's power. It's about God's power. And clay pots were put in heat to harden. Clay pots were thrown around because they weren't very valuable back then. Clay pots were used to store garbage. Clay pots, if it had any damage to it, they just threw it away and got something new. Clay pots were handled very roughly. And verse eight and nine talks about the platform that clay pots are given. As evangelists, we want to have platform, we want to have influence. Too many of us today look for influence to social media or becoming famous, just like the Corinthians. But the clay pots that Paul's talking about has, has been given a platform. Every single one of us have been given a platform. Verse eight says this. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not dis- despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul's talking about suffering. And Paul used suffering or presented suffering as a way to validate his ministry. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. 23. Are they servants of Christ? He's talking about the false teachers who are attacking him. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Paul's basically refuting the false teachers' claims that Paul, see how Paul's suffering. See how that invalidates his apostolic ministry. See God's favor is off him. That's why he's going through these hard times. That's what the false teachers were saying about Paul. And. Paul's saying something different. Paul's basically saying his suffering validated his ministry. I mean, he goes on to say he was beaten three times by rods. Five times he received 39 lashes from the Jews. He was whipped 39 times. He suffered shipwreck three times. He was stoned. He was in constant dangers from the Jews and Gentiles, robbers and false teachers. He was in danger in the city and in the wilderness. He was danger by the river and in the sea. Oftentimes he went without shelter and food. Paul understood suffering. And he did not lose heart throughout all of it. He remained hopeful to his mission. Think about the suffering that you're going through right now. At work, perhaps. People are not kind to you. Perhaps... At Christmas dinner last night you have a sister or brother uncle or aunt who's not very kind to you because you're a Christian. Perhaps business partners have cheated you of profits that you deserve. Perhaps friends have abandoned you because you talk too much about Christ. Well Paul knew That his suffering was a platform to demonstrate God's power. This is all that it was. This he knew that it was an opportunity to demonstrate God's preserving power in his life. Because for him to respond in these ways, where he keeps coming back for more and more and more, what would have been natural was for him to just abandon Corinth and forget these guys. I'm gonna let the false teachers have their way with them. No, 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 no. Paul kept visiting, Paul kept writing. Paul kept loving on this church. This is supernatural. Where the false teachers would flee at some point. And Paul understood this, church family, that all man, every single man and woman can relate to suffering. It's a universal language. No matter where you're from, how old you are, whether you're from America or from a different country, whether you speak the language or you don't, people understand suffering that is the universal language that the world can understand. Even blind people can feel pain. He understood this. He understood this. And in that sense, as, he, as we read on from verse 10 and 11, he says this, Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, Suffering so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. So Jesus will be revealed through our suffering. Verse 11. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. Why, Paul? So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So that Christ could be shown in our lives. Paul understood this. Paul wasn't just saying, okay, I'm going to go through suffering. He goes, wow. What an opportunity. One opportunity, I get to live out the gospel to people who are paying attention. They know what's going on, they see my bruises, they've seen the betrayal, they've seen the lack of loyalty. And how am I going to respond? Paul, I believe, was like relishing in this moment, saying, "Wow, what an opportunity to authenticate that the gospel is real in me. Because any of the false teachers, if they're going through is they'd be gone. Adios. They'd be out of talent. Where Paul was sticking in there only through the power of the gospel. Paul was focused on one thing. is to advance the gospel to as many people as possible. And he knew that suffering was giving him an elevated platform for him to stand on so people could see. This is what he was consumed with. He understood this truth. See, church family, our role is to live out the gospel with people. And the more cracks that we have in us, the more other people can see the treasure that lies within us. People do not pay attention to pots that are nice and polished and smooth, no trials, no issues of life, when life is good. People are paying attention when your spouse dies. People are paying attention when you're sick. People are attention, paying attention when people are talking behind your back and they know it, and how do you respond? Church family, this is an opportunity. This is not a curse. God is giving you and me an opportunity to demonstrate gospel power to people who are looking for hope right now. They're able to peek into the, in, through the cracks to see Christ in you and me. This is what Paul's talking about. The treasure himself. And Look where Paul goes in verse 13 here. Once you have their attention, church family, this is what Paul says to do. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will will raise us also with with jesus and will present us with you when you have the attention of the people simply tell them what you believe paul saying simply tell them what you believe do you actually believe church family listen now this is an important part of the message do you actually believe that jesus is god do you actually believe that jesus became a man do you actually believe that Jesus Christ died for the sins of man to forgive them of their sins? Do you believe that Jesus Christ rose to life? Do you actually believe that Jesus Christ will raise you up even when you die? Do you actually believe the church family? Do you actually believe that apart from a genuine faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, people are headed towards eternal destruction in hell? Do you actually believe that? That's the gospel. going back to Inglewood. We're talking, and he was sharing with me, he's married, and they're about to have their first child. He was really excited. I was like, that's wonderful. Children are a blessing. I got four of them, see? And he was smiling. This might, maybe like 10 minutes into our drive, and we start to become, you know, start to warm up to one another. But God gave me a compassion for this man. This man has a wife that he loves, a child that he's looking forward to meeting next year, May perhaps. But I knew, based on his confession, who he said Jesus is, that if he were to die tonight, he he will spend an eternity apart from God. In hell. I said to him, well, the Bible says this, God's word says this, that those who do not trust in Jesus Christ as their God and Savior will be headed towards eternal destruction. I asked him, when you die, do you know that you will go to heaven? He said, I don't know for sure, but I'm a pretty good person. I think so. I don't do these things that these other guys are doing. I said, well, friend, it's really God's standard that you will be judged upon and if you've done one wrong thing in your life, God considers you a sinner and you will be judged. You need to repent, turn away from your sins, and follow Jesus Christ as your God and your Savior. Church family, simply give them the hope that lies within you, right? This is what we're called to do. We're called to preach the gospel, the gospel message in the Chapter 4 is the golden thread that goes through everything. Chap- verse 2, verse 5, now to verse 13 and 14. We rely on God's power. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, right? For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But, what does it say? To those of us who are being saved, it is the what? The power of God, that's right. Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the what? The gospel. For, of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. By just simply proclaiming the gospel, you're relying on the power of God, church family. You're trusting in God's power. The gospel is is called the power of God to save. And perhaps you're sitting there right now and I've been told this before. I said, Rocky, even on evangelistic events, Rocky, uh, do you need to talk about hell? Could, could, that might be offensive to the people here. Other people have said to me, do you need to talk about hell in other settings? And... Why else will they turn to to Christ as Lord and Savior? Apart from judgment, there is no gospel. There is no partial gospel. Let me just give them this installment right now. If you're going to preach the gospel, it's the good news, which is highlighted by the darkness of the bad news. Sin and judgment radiate the glory of the gospel, the need for the gospel. Otherwise, you would not go to the oncologist if you didn't have cancer. You, you don't have to go there. Jesus is the doctor who heals our spiritual sin. Church family, we have this gospel tract that Pastor Hugo Torres developed for us as we, to help us as a tool to evangelize our local community. And He starts off with God. God is holy. God is holy. And he's a creator of all. And then goes into this. That man is guilty for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us like sheep have gone astray. And it talks about the wages of sin is death. Hell. Then it moves on to Christ the Savior. God himself took on human skin. And it says this in 2 Corinthians 5.21 for he made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him and then it finally goes into the response sinners must repent and believe the gospel now you may be asking me pastor do we need to speak these things can i just live it out can i just love on people well yes that's an important step but romans 10 says this 10:13 Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise God. But Paul puts up the issue. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? Words. How will they hear without a preacher? Jumping down to verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So church family, absolutely it's necessary to use words. Absolutely live it out. Absolutely love on people. But the reason why we do that is to eventually climax with sharing the gospel. Finally, let's finish up with our last point here briefly. In evangelism, we do not lose heart because we trust in God's permanent promises. We trust in God's permanent promises. Paul says this, verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart. There it is again. We do not surrender We do not retreat. We do not give up. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us. That wasn't light affliction that he was going through. But he calls the light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Far beyond all comparison. But he says this, compared to the treasures that are waiting for him in heaven, these light afflictions are nothing. Ken Hughes writes... Along uh, alongside Paul's hope in future resurrection was his hope in future transformation. He did not lose heart because his old sinful man was wasting away in blessed deconstruction while his new self in Christ was being renewed day by day. He knew he was being renewed day by day. And he looked forward to his final transformation at Christ appearing. Church family, we, we are going to be like Christ someday. We're going to be in heaven someday. We're going to be glorified with him someday. See, we had this saying when I was coaching, you know, see a little, or excuse me, see a lot, see a little. See little, see a lot. Meaning if you see everything, you don't see anything. Meaning if you focused on one thing, you see a lot. Bad players are distracted. Bad players are seeing the fans, seeing other parts of the game that don't, pertain to them. Good players are locked in. This is my key. I'm looking at his hip. He moves this way. I'm going to step my left foot, counter step, and this is what I'm going to do. It's all built in. Good players are focused on the right things. And Paul owned supreme focus, and he was highly motivated because of this. He focused in right here in verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, while we we do not focus on the things which we see, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. Earth is temporary, church family, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul had his focus on eternity. This is what motivated him, no matter what was going on. He said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Didn't he say that? So if our eyes are all over the place today, primarily on the things of this world, we see a lot and we're distracted. If job security is the most important thing in your life, you're not going to let it be known to your coworkers that you're a Christian, that you're a Christ follower. You're not going to be looking for opportunities to advance the gospel. If finances is the most important thing, you're not going to make decisions that's going to cost you financially. If popularity and, and, and the fear of man is what drives us, We're going to be pleasing man instead of God. If peacekeeping is the most important thing to us, at that New Year's Eve party, when you see your relatives, you're not going to talk about Christ. You're going to talk about something else. However, I'm super encouraged to hear so many things. I want to give you encouragement from what I hear. Church family, I'm encouraged to see how people are trying to build relationships with people on their teams in their gyms, with their teammates, with their coaches. I'm encouraged to hear of young people inviting people to Christian club and to church. It's been awesome to see that. It's nice to see people praying for one another. But church family, remember Paul's words. We preach Christ as Lord. Take the next step, church family. Take the next step. Work to that point where we're talking about Christ and the gospel. Give him the treasure. Give him the treasure that you see that we believe in. And let's not lose heart. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your word. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for how he is able to show us his heart, Lord, what kept them motivated. Thank you that your plans are clear, that you are the one who decides who is in your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, that your power is what preserves us in hardships. And we believe in the power of the gospel, which saves people unto salvation. Thank you, Lord, that your promises are good and you will keep us into eternity. and You will conform us into the image of your son. Lord, I pray these things will motivate us to be faithful, to minister the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Father, let us not lose heart. Let truth reign in our hearts and our minds so that we see you and eternity greater than the things of this world. Father, take us into heaven, Lord, into Revelation 5, where the angels and the saints will be seen. Worthy are you to take the book. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy are you who called every tribe, every tongue and nation into the heavens. I pray, Lord, that our minds will be captured up into glory. And, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you allow us to remain faithful to the gospel. Father, I pray Evergreen Church will be an evangelizing church. I pray that Evergreen Church would keep the gospel as the primary message of our lives. And that everything that we do will be to parlay that to preaching the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So thank you, Father, for this immense privilege. None of us deserves this. What a great mercy this is. Help us to cherish and steward this opportunity well for your glory so that more people will sing praises to you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this immense privilege, Lord. I pray that we would commit to proclaiming the gospel to as many people as you let us on this side of eternity before we see you in heaven, Lord. I pray by your spirit, by your grace, we will be obedient to you in this way. I pray these truths will grip our hearts that we see you and in that day you will say well done good and faithful servant help us to be faithful to you Lord thank you Lord we want to do this we want to do this Lord thank you Lord in Jesus name Amen